While they're making their way out, let me invite you to take out your copy of God's Word. Maybe turn on your device. We're in Psalm 66. Psalm 66. We began a series of sermons last Sunday that will conclude next Sunday. Uh, The sermons are simply titled uh, Refocus is the idea of our series. We're working our way into this idea of looking at God again, staring at God, wanting to make sure that our eyes are set on the Lord. As many of you saw this week, we are barely into 2021 and we once again see evil bubbling up, lawlessness running loose, chaos in our country. And we are reminded that the changing of the calendar from 2020 to 2021 did not get rid of sin. It did not just all of a sudden let sin wash away and we start over. We carry the baggage of this broken world day after day after day after day and And we are reminded again that the world is in desperate need of the Lord. It's in desperate need of its eyes being fixed on the Father. We saw firsthand this week what happens when people don't worship the Lord. When they worship something else, when they put their hope into something else. We we see this in the way that we behave with one another. We found that the, the Lord is the answer to all of these starvings, all of these cravings. The world needs the Lord. But I would like to say this to you. I think that the world needs the Lord, but I think the way in which the world sees the Lord is through the Lord's people. The Lord Jesus has told us that we will be his hands and feet, that we will carry out his message, that we will be the ones in which the light Shines. In fact, Jesus would say in Matthew 5, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and glorify the Lord. You know what the world really needs. It's not more government. It's not more laws. It's not more judges. It's not more regulations. You know what the world really needs. It needs the church to love the Lord. And when the church loves the Lord and worships the Lord and focuses on the Lord, there is this outpost of a group of people who look so different that the world will see it and know it. But the problem is, is that just like everyone else in the world, even those of us that are in the body of Christ, we battle with our affection and our attention focused on the Lord. We struggle with being divided. You see, I'm convinced that our greatest need is not the control of media. Our greatest need is not a particular politician being elected. Our greatest need is that our eyes would not leave the Lord Jesus Christ. That our greatest need would be that our affections of our hearts would focus on the Lord. Your greatest danger is that you would lose sight of the Lord Jesus, the Father in heaven. Your soul's greatest danger is that your proclivity to wander from God would overwhelm you. We need to focus on the Lord. The Lord knew this. In the list of Ten Commandments, Those ten rules given down by heaven, the very first one, thou shalt have no other gods before me. The Lord knew we would worship other things. The Lord knew that our hearts would constantly be wondering. When Jesus is asked what is the greatest commandment, he simply said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. The Lord knew that our battle would be our focus on him. The Lord knew that our struggle would be worshiping him Brothers and sisters, more than anything else in this world, the priority of our life must be worshiping the Lord, focusing on the Lord for your soul's satisfaction, for your mind's clarity, for your emotional stability, and for your spiritual health. We must focus 
on the Lord. We must worship the Lord. So in Psalm 66, we will learn a lesson today about how to worship. We will learn what it means to worship the Lord. What does it look like for us to focus our worship on the Lord? To not be divided in our heart's affection. To stand as the body of Christ and say, Jesus is our King. The Lord is our priority. Our eyes are fixed on Him. Psalm 66, the writer tells us about worship. Would you look with me at the passage? It's a little bit lengthy. I'm going to read the whole thing one time through, and then we'll look at snippets the rest of the time together. Psalm 66. Shout for joy to God all the earth. Sing the glory of His name. Give to Him glorious praise. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. All the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name. Come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds towards the children of man. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through on the river on the foot. There did we rejoice in him who rules by his might forever whose eyes keep watch on the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. Bless our God, O peoples. Let the sound of His praise be heard. Who has kept our soul among the living and has not let our feet slip? For you, O God, have tested. You have tested us. You have tried us like silver is tried. You brought us into the net. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water, yet you have brought us to this place of abundance. I will come into your house with burnt offering. I will perform my vows to you. That which my lips utter and my mouth promised when I was in trouble, I will offer to you burnt offerings of fatted animals. With the smoke of sacrifice of rams, I will make an offering of bulls and goats. Come and hear all of you who fear God. And I will tell you that what he has done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth and high praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But truly God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God because he has not rejected my prayer. Or removed his steadfast love from me. Let's pray together. Father, help us in, in this text, in this psalm, in this place. Help us to see what worship looks like. Help us to find our focus on you again, Lord. Lord God, help us. That we, the people of God, the people who know you. We would set our heart's affection, our mind's eye on you. We would worship you and in this world, the world would know that we are different because we serve and follow you. Lord, I pray now over the next few moments as we walk through this psalm together, you will, you will for each one of us, whether in the room or, or watching online, for each one of us, you will examine our hearts. And you will help us to focus on worshiping you. God, bless our time in your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The poem, the poet, is giving us a song of praise, a call to worship. He's reminding us that the Lord is worthy of all of our focus, our attention, our heart's desire, all of our words, our conversations, our time, that the Lord should be the very center of our life, that we should seek Him above all others. We should seek the Lord, as Jesus said, because it is the first. The first thing to do is to seek the kingdom of God, which is the King and Him 
who reigns. And so the psalmist gives us what I think is a, a practical plan for learning how to do personal worship. How do you worship the Lord? What should it look like in your life? How do you make sure you're keeping the Lord as the priority of your heart? Because, brothers and sisters, we live in a day and time where our hearts can quickly be divided. They can quickly cause us to chase the wrong thing, to make the wrong thing the priority of our life. And so he gives us in this text what I think are, are three truths to help us focus on worship. Uh, the first truth is simply this. Worshiping God takes movement. Worshiping God takes movement. Now, what I mean by that is simply this. Worshiping God takes effort. You have to do something. You have to be actively involved in worshiping the Lord. Look, let me show you what I mean. Look at the first four verses. Listen to the action words of the psalmist. Shout for joy to God all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Give him glorious praise. Say to God how awesome are your deeds. Now the psalmist doesn't say just go about your life and don't think about the Lord. He doesn't say, just act like he's not there. He doesn't say, keep your mouth closed and stay in a corner. No, he's giving us effort words, action words, verbs that are calling us to something. He's reminding us that worship takes effort. Worship takes focus. Worship takes our strength and our ability. Now, we understand, brothers and sisters, that we are not saved because of our worship. You cannot sing yourself into heaven. You cannot shout yourself into the presence of God. You are only there because the Lord Jesus Christ saved you. He redeemed you. He forgave you. But because the Lord Jesus Christ saved you, He forgave you, He redeemed you, now with all of our might, we join in the chorus and we sing. We shout. We have joy now. We give to the Lord what is due Him. We worship. Brothers and sisters, worship takes effort. You ever thought about how much effort you put into stuff? We put a lot of effort into stuff. We put effort into our education to get to a certain level in our jobs or training. We put effort into our work so that we can learn our craft and, and try to bring home an income. We, we put effort into our parenting, though sometimes it doesn't look that way. We put, efforting, we put effort into making sure our children have what they need and even what they want. We put effort into our home to make sure it looks just like Chip and Joanna says it's supposed to. We put effort into chasing that deer or hitting that golf ball or learning to make grandma's pie. We put effort into making sure we understand all of the news of the politics of the day so we can rightly articulate our argument on Facebook so we can convince everybody, which, by the way, nobody's convinced by Facebook. We put a lot of effort into a lot of things. And the psalmist says, here's where your effort should be. Shout to the Lord. Sing to the Lord. Say of God what good He has done. Oh, brothers and sisters, could I just ask you for a moment to do a mental exercise with me? Survey this past week in your mind. Walk through your hours and your days. I, I'm not begrudging the fact that you have responsibilities. You had to make meals for your family and go to work. You had to take care of paying bills. You had to get shoes for your child and get them to the dentist appointment. Those things are all within the bounds of the kingdom. But can I just ask you, how did your effort look this week in worship? How did your focus look on the Lord? What kind of time did you put into worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ? Because the psalmist says, the priority of our heart should be action, movement, effort towards the Lord. He tells us, sing and shout. But, 
But I want you to notice that there's nobody off the hook. You might say, well, pastor, that's easy for you. Your job's in the church office. You have time set aside to read the Bible. You, you get to study because that's part of your job. I, I understand that. But nobody's off the hook for worshiping. Just, just follow the psalm. In verses 1 through 4, he's talking to the whole earth. Look what he says in verse 1. Shout to joy all the earth. Everybody's included. The nations are included. God is worthy of everyone's praise. The mountains sing his glory. The pine tree stretching to the sky sings his glory. The ocean wave lapping to the shore sings his glory. And the nations, he deserves their glory. No one is out of his bounds, but he, but he funnels it down. If you'll notice with me, starting in verse 5, he begins to tell the story of Israel's history when they left Egypt, when they were rescued from captivity. We'll look at that more closely in a moment, but I want you to notice what he's doing. He starts with the whole earth. Everybody worship God. God deserves the worship of every mouth. Everyone should be falling before him. But then he funnels it down to the nation of Israel. We might uh, bring the uh, analogy to the church, and he says, but really and truly, if there's anybody that's supposed to be worshiping the God, it, it's the people of God. We first should be the ones who proclaim his goodness. We first have a story to tell to the nations. We first have a reason to worship him. And so he says, if there's any group of people that should be leading in the song, he uses Israel in the story, but we would say the church, the people of God. We should be the ones setting the tone for worshiping the Lord. But then he draws it down even more. Look with me, if you will, at verse 13. Notice how the pronoun changes. He's talking to God. Now he begins to talk to himself in first-person pronoun. Look, listen to what he says. I will come into the house with burnt offerings. I will perform my vows to you, that which my lips utter and my mouth promised when I was in trouble. I will offer to you the burnt offerings of fatted animals with the smoke and sacrifice. I will make an offering of bulls and goats. You know what the psalmist says? The psalmist says that the first step of worship is movement. It's action. It's effort towards the Lord. And it starts with the individual. It starts with you. It starts with me. Worship is not primarily an hour on Sunday where we gather in this room. Worship is primarily the children of God giving to God the praise He is due. Worship, as Paul would say in Romans 12, 1 and 2, is to offer yourselves a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your spiritual act of worship. Worship starts with you and me as individuals. One of the reasons why we sit back and, and have opinions about everything that's happening in the world, we can have opinions about politics, we can have opinions about the church, we can have opinions about the school, the neighborhood, the communities, but here's the question the psalmist puts in front of us, what is you, what are you doing to worship the Lord? What is happening in your heart? How are you making movements toward God? What does your effort look like? He says, ah, he takes ownership. He takes stock of himself. He lays himself before the Lord. He makes commitments. I will come to your house. I will sacrifice for you. I will give my offering to you. I will give my life to you. I will follow you. How is your effort? What gets more priority in your life? Your family or God? What gets more priority in your life? Your chase of job and career or the Lord? What is the highest priority on your calendar? 
The vacation you're planning and saving for? Or the Lord? What takes up your reading time? God's holy word? Or Facebook? The psalmist says, I will worship. Brothers and sisters, I am convinced that there is very little I can do in Washington, D.C. at this moment because I'm in Dallas County, Alabama. But I am convinced that the greatest thing that can happen to Washington is for you and me to worship the Lord. That we would look different. That we would show our neighbors and neighborhood and the nations that the priority of our life is not government, it's not news, it's not social media. The priority of our life is worshiping the Lord for He is worthy. Take stock of your life for a moment. How did your worship look this week? What was the priority of your eyes and your thoughts and your conversations? Where are you headed? Would your neighbors think that worship is your hobby, your job, your family, your politics based on the conversations that you had? Or would your neighbors and co-workers and family think, boy, that person worships the Lord. It's dripping off their tongue every time I'm around them. How's your worship? I have a pastor friend of mine that says it this way. He says, you steer where you stare. What are you staring at? Because that's where you're going. The psalmist says... To focus on worship is to move. But he gives us a second truth in the passage. Worshiping God not only takes movement, it takes memory. Uh, To worship God correctly, we got to have memory. Uh, Let me show you what I mean. Look with me at verses 3 through 5, right there in the middle of the psalm, or the very beginning of the psalm, excuse me. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies cringe to you. Now look at verse 5. Come and see what God has done. He is awesome in His deeds towards His children. The psalmist says one of the motivations, one of the moments, one of the ways in which we worship is by memory. We recall what God has done. We sing it in the hymnal, the old way of count your many blessings, name them one by one. This is what the psalmist is calling us to. He's calling us to recount what God has done. You want to help your worship Get out your list and write how the Lord has been good to you. Write how the Lord has blessed you. Write how the Lord has carried you. Write how the Lord has been good. Make a list of the goodness of God in your life, and you'll have a springboard in to worship. Correct worship of God means we got to have a memory. we got to recall what the Lord has done. we got to recall what He is doing. And I want to show you what I mean in the text and how the psalmist does it. He will take us on a history lesson. If you look at uh, verse, uh, 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 excuse me, I lost my place. If you look at verses uh, 5 through 12, he's telling the story of how they escaped Egypt. The nation of Israel was enslaved in Egypt for 400 years, and God sent Moses and Aaron, and they eventually walked on dry land across the Red Sea. The sea was split open. They walked across on dry land. He carried them through the promise, or in the wilderness, excuse me. He eventually, with Joshua, delivered them to the promised land. He's recounting that story. He's using memory to praise the Lord, to remind himself of how the Lord has been good. But I want you to notice in his memory, there's a couple of things that he particularly points out. First of all, when you're remembering how to worship, you should start with God's blessings. Look with me, if you will, at verse 6. The psalmist says in verse 6, He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. 
Now he's recalling the great story where the staff was held up and the sea was rolled back as the Egyptians bared down on the uh, Israelites. You can read about it in the book of Exodus. And they crossed over on dry land. God stopped the ocean and rolled it back so that they could cross over on dry land. So the psalmist says, I remember when you blessed us that day because we could have died at the hands of the Egyptians. I remember when you provide, when there wasn't a way, God made a way. Now let's use that as an analogy. I'm not asking you to walk out to the muddy Alabama River today and ask God to split it and walk across it. We don't want to see what's in the bottom of that thing. But I am thinking to myself, you know, there have been times in my life where I didn't see a way and God made a way. There have been times in my life where I felt like I was up against the ocean and the army was coming down on me and God made a way. Brothers and sisters, worship starts with remembering how God has blessed us. But I want to show you a second reason where you start with your memory. Not only do you remember where God has blessed you, you remember where God has disciplined you. Now, this might sound a little bit odd when we're talking about worship, but look at verses 10 and 12. He says, For you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us like silver is tried. You brought us into the net. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through the fire and the water. Yet you have brought us to this place of abundance. Now, I don't know about you, but when you write modern day praise songs, you usually don't start with, Thank you, Lord, for burdening my back. Thank you, Lord, for bringing me to the fire and water. God, you are so, so good. I can just see us singing that chorus over and over and over. Thank you, Lord, for breaking my back. Thank you for breaking my back. That doesn't probably sail on the Christian charts. But the psalmist is reminding us of something. He's reminding us that when we begin to move towards worship, and we begin to remember what God has done, and we look back and we see our blessings, we're inevitably going to also see hard things. You can't look back in your life and not see struggle and trial and strife. The world and your life is full of it. But here's what the psalmist does which helps us when we worship. Even when we, as people of God, look backwards into our life and see the moments of struggle and trial, we can sing to the Lord. Why? Because we know not one moment is wasted in God's plan. Not one place is out of order in God's plan. Where once was darkness is now is light. For God is making all things work to the good of those who love Him and walk according to His ways. So even in our suffering, we can worship the Lord because God is doing something. God is working. God is allowing. God is shaping. God is molding. God knows what I don't know about tomorrow, so He's walking me through today to prepare me for that. And he's pulling me closer to himself. So when we think about remembering in worship, yes, we remember our blessings. But we can also look at our sufferings and say, God, thank you. You are doing something. You are doing something. This is not wasted on you. This is not chaos. You are working. I want you to see this even better with the words that he uses. Look there in verse 10. He says, you have tried us as silver is tried. Now, he's talking about refining silver. Now, many of us, when we hear the idea in the Psalms of refining gold or refining silver, we just think about a really hot flame and boiling liquid gold and the bad stuff bubbles up and they skim it out and you move on. But that's not quite how it works. 
One author helps us here by explaining the process of silver making and how God is actually working on this. God's just not throwing you to a random fire and hopes all the bad stuff comes out. When the silver making is making silver, here's what happens. First, the silver maker hovers over the process. He is personally involved in refining the silver. Brothers and sisters, whatever you face, you can worship the Lord through suffering. Why? Because God is hovering there over you with it. God is there in the midst of the suffering. He is there in the midst of the moment. He didn't just throw you in a fire and walk away and hope it worked out. God is, is tending to you. Another thing we learn about refining metals like silver is that the furnace in which it is built for it to be melted in is intrinsically built. It is very integral in how it's done. It's not just some oven they throw silver in. It is specifically designed for that when the Lord brings you through something. He is specifically working on you. He is helping you. He is personally God tailoring the trial and the suffering for your good. He's tending to you. Third, the heat in silver refinery is regulated very carefully. Not too hot, not too cold. We are reminded. God knows exactly where you are, exactly what you need, and exactly how hot to turn up the flame. And how cold to turn it down. I, I hear people say sometimes, God will never give you more than you can handle. Brothers and sisters, that's a bold-faced lie. Everything in this life is more than I can handle. That's why God gives me Him so that I can handle it. And God will walk us through those things. Because God is good. But then finally, I want you to know one other thought about silver refinery so you can understand how you can worship in suffering. Not only is God hovering over your suffering, not only is God made the suffering fit for your good, not only is he making sure the temperature is just right so that you can come through, but when they refine silver, they don't just do it one time. They run it through the process over and over and over and over and so that when the silver comes out, it is perfect, it is right, it is good. How many of you have ever found yourself thinking, here we go again, Lord, I'm walking back through it. Can I let you know why? Because you ain't right yet. You ain't been sanded correctly. The Lord knows exactly what you need. He knows exactly how you should be fit. He knows exactly what he has planned for you. And as long as you're not there yet, you're going back in the furnace. So you can praise the Lord. Instead of saying, why God or here we go again, you can say, Lord, thank you for trying me like silver. I worship you. I worship you. He tells us in the text that we remember God's blessings. We remember God's suffering. We should also remember God's grace. Look with me at verse 16 as we think about the memory of worship. Look at verse 16. He says, come and hear all you who fear God. And I will tell you what he has done for my soul. Brothers and sisters, wherever you find yourself. If you've come to the Lord Jesus Christ and your sins have been forgiven and the blood of Christ has washed you clean and you now are called a son and daughter of the King, then you always have a song to sing no matter what you face because your greatest need is not the cure of cancer. Your greatest need is not more money. Your greatest need is not a perfect relationship. Your greatest need is not the right politician. Your greatest need is that God would look on you and invite you into His presence and forgive you of your sins and call you a son or daughter. He has cleansed your soul. So you can sing. You know why that's important? I'm sure any of you who've been in Elkdale long enough, you probably know my testimony better than I do. 
I tell you all the time, I was saved at nine years old, Randolph, Alabama, Shady Grove Baptist Church. I hear people in the church quote that back to me when I begin to say it. I, I know I've said it to you a lot. You want to know why? Because there are some days where I need that memory real bad. There are some days where I just need to be reminded God has saved my soul. He has rescued me. Whatever I'm going through, whatever I'm facing, it perils in comparison that God would pick me up from the mire and place a song in my mouth and replace my heart of stone with a heart of flesh that beats for Him. That God, which once would take my dead heart and make it alive again, my black sin and wash it white as snow, that God, where darkness reigned, would burst forth His light into my soul, that God would save me. I remember that, and I always have a song to sing. Always have a song to sing. God has saved me. The gospel gives us a song. Alistair Begg was asked, what is the gospel? And he summed it up in just a few sentences. He says, here's the gospel. Here is the gospel in a phrase. Because Christ died for us, those who trust in him may know that their guilt has been pardoned once and for all. What we'll have to say before the bar of God's judgment? Only one thing. Christ died in my place. And that is the gospel. Friends, friends, if we remember God's blessing and we remember that His suffering has a purpose, and we remember most of all that God has saved our soul, then we have a song to sing. We have worship to give to the Lord. We have reason to shout and sing and give to the Lord for His great deeds. Let me close with one final motivation, one final thought, and that's simply this. Worshiping God takes motivation. I, I feel like I've given you a lot of reasons why to worship God, but... But now I want to just kind of add a little motivation to it. I want to show you what the psalmist does. The first way in which the psalmist motivates us to worship is by just reminding us who God is. He tells us in the text that God is worthy. He says, how awesome are His deeds, great in power, glorious is His name. We are motivated by worship because we are coming to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We are coming to the God of all creation. We are coming to the one who's over all things. Uh, Francis Chan, thinking about the worship of God, writes it this way. He says, isn't it comforting to worship a God you cannot exaggerate? You can never reach his end. You can brag on him in any direction you want, and you won't make it to the end. You won't finish out your worship. There's always something for him to be praised for. And so our motivation for worship is first and foremost that the God of all creation would let us open our mouths in his presence. That we would get to even speak to him. He is worthy. But I want to show you one more motivation that I think this psalmist helps us understand, especially in light in the days in which we are living. Look with me, if you will, verse 16 again. He says, Come and hear all you who fear God, and I will tell you what He has done for my soul. I believe that the psalmist is reminding the church, reminding the people of God, that one of the main reasons why we need to be moving in worship, we need to be remembering God, we need to have memory and worship the Lord. One of the main reasons is because the world needs to see it. Listen to the evangelism in verse 16. Come and see. Let me tell you what God has done. 
Let me share with you about the king. Let me tell you about the one who saved my soul. Let me tell you about the blessings of the one who carried me through the suffering, who refined me my silver, but I found the abundance at the end of the trail. Let me tell you about the Lord. Come and see. I think the psalmist is reminding us that what the world needs, it needs to see believers in the Lord Jesus Christ worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. It needs to see workers Co-workers, students, bosses, employees, neighbors. It needs to see us worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to worship in such a way that we would look at our neighbors and our friends. We would look at those who are not like us, who, who don't have our experiences, and we would say, hey, come here. I got something to tell you. And brothers and sisters, when we tell them, I believe they'll listen because our life should match what we're saying. If I'm worshiping the Lord with my life, then my words will match my life and I will tell them of the king that has changed my soul. The world needs to hear. When we worship politics, we start to hate and disagree with other people. When we worship money, we chase a dream that's never fulfilled. When we worship the flesh, sexual desire ruins ourselves. When we worship safety, we trust the fleeting promises of this world instead of living boldly for the Lord. When we worship the Lord, when we do as He's commanded, we let our light shine before men. And they see His good works. And they worship Him. How's your worship? Tim Keller writes it this way. He says uh, these words, We are called not simply to communicate the gospel. We're not called to just tell non-believers the gospel. We're also called to, we must also intentionally celebrate the gospel before them. What he's arguing is simply this, sharing the gospel is great, but we should also be living the fruit of the worshipful gospel in front of them. We should let them see in us that we are in love with the Lord. It has changed our life. Let us worship. If we learned anything over the last few weeks and months, it's that people can quickly worship the wrong thing. And when they worship the wrong thing, all of the fruits of evil begin to come out. You, you hear it in the voices. You hear it in the place. Jesus tells us that the fruit of the Spirit is loving the Lord and loving your neighbor. The following of the first commandment. It is to be kind to other people. It is to love others. When we worship the Lord, we will love other people. We won't see them as a category in a different place. We won't see them as a, a different color, a different race, a different voting. We won't see them as the enemy. We'll see them in people in desperate need of a God that really can fulfill their soul. When we worship the Lord correctly, we will want others to know the Lord in which we worship. Our world. Our country. Our neighborhood. Our church. Your home needs to worship the Lord. Needs to focus on the Lord. And I want to close by just drawing your attention to one thought here that the psalmist gives us. It's really a challenge. He lays down the gauntlet because you don't really pick it up if you, if, if you just read through the psalm, but, but he throws out a second category. He throws out a group of people that don't worship the Lord. You, you can see it in verse 7. He says in verse 7, there did we rejoice him who rules by his might forever, whose eyes keep watch on the nation, 
Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. There's a group of people that are rebellious to God. You know who those people are? The ones who worship anything other than Him. It's rebellion. Then he goes a step further down in verse 18. He says, If I had cherished my iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. He's reminding us that there are people who cherish their sin. There are people who wallow in their brokenness. He's reminding us in the psalm, and and listen now as I close, there are two types of people. There are those who know the Lord Jesus, His marvelous deeds, His wonderful works, His great blessings, His purposeful suffering, His salvation to the soul, those that know Him and worship Him. Move towards Him. Sing, shout, give. And then there are those who wallow in their own sin, who promote themselves, who seek the things that they want to seek, and who do not confess their sin to the Lord. And he tells us in verse 17, God doesn't hear those people. Brother, sister, how is your worship? What is your priority? What fills your thoughts and heart? What consumes your eyes? What are you gorging your brain on? How are you dealing with people? What is your worship look like? For the psalmist says, we must move, we must have memory, and we must be motivated to worship the Lord because the world needs to see a people who are in love with the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father, this morning you have searched us and you know us. You know our comings and goings. You know the words on our lips before we speak them. You know our thoughts before we even uh, vocalize them. You know everything about us. And you certainly know that how we spent our last week. You know the number of conversations we had. You know the, the hours we spent praying or reading our Bible or the lack of. You know what dominates our calendar and our checkbooks. and You know us. Not a single person in this room can make excuses or hide. You know us perfectly. And so, Lord, we begin... We begin this prayer by confessing, God, forgive us. Forgive me. Forgive me where I'm not focused on you. Forgive me where I'm not worshiping you. Forgive me where I'm not recounting the deeds of your goodness and your mercy. Forgive me when I'm facing trial and think somehow you've forgotten about me. Forgive me when I forget that the greatest need that my neighbor has that my nation has, that the world has, is not more political arguments, not more philosophy, not more education, not more food. The greatest need is the gospel. And the centerpiece of sharing the gospel is your people. You've called us to tell the good news. And we do that not only communicating the good news, but living a life that cherishes it. Help us, Father. Help us. 
Help us let our light shine before men that they may see our good works and glorify you. God, help us worship correctly. Your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed. In just a moment, I'm going to say amen. We're going to stand to our feet and sing. Maybe this morning it's a day where you come to this altar and you just pray, Lord, help me focus on worship. Maybe you need to come and confess that you're being consumed and pulled in thousands of directions and none of them are God's priority. Maybe you want to come because you know someone in need of the gospel and you want to be better at worshiping the Lord in front of them, at communicating the gospel to them. Maybe you want to come this morning and say, Pastor, I don't have a clean soul. I don't have a testimony like you share. I don't know if I'm saved. And you want to come this morning. Listen to me, friend. As the apostles would tell us, today is the day of salvation. The Bible tells us in the book of Acts, repent and believe. Turn from your sins and turn to the Lord Jesus. That your only hope in life and death is Christ. That you would come to Him. Oh, I pray this week you'll spend time reflecting and praying gauging your worship lord lead us now as we respond to you as we try to honor you with our lives lead us now as we sing to you as we pray to you god we want to worship you well we ask this in jesus name amen would you stand and sing with us this morning